Welcome to this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect, a top 10 Utah Utes podcast. In today's episode, we break down what the heck just happened to the supposed Conference of Champions in the past week, including how Colorado's departure affects the Pac-12's future. That involves the Utes. Plus, fall camp has started. What are the notes from day one, and what can Utah do if rising is indeed not available for week one? Let's go. Hey, Thatcher Effect fans, this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Be sure to use code VSN for $20 off of your first purchase. To start off the show, we'll get going with this week's headlines. As most of you, if not all of you, have heard, the University of Colorado is Big 12 bound in 2024 after the Colorado Board of Regents met last week and unanimously decided on the move. This comes after the uncertainty of the Pac-12 media deal and the certainty of the Big 12. More of my thoughts on conference realignment will be later in this episode. Utah football began fall camp practices on Monday. Rising was limited in his drills, and Keithy has yet to be cleared. Brandon Rose was taking majority of the reps at the backup quarterback spot, but also took some first-team reps in place of Thick Boy 7, as he may need to take some snaps when the season gets going. Some Utah football players also made some preseason watch lists. Cam Rising is on the Maxwell Award watch list for College Player of the Year. Junior Tafuna and Cole Bishop were named to the Bronco Nagurski Award watch list for Best Defensive Player. And Sautua Lamea, Junior Tafuna, and Keaton Bills were all named to the Outland Trophy watch list for Best Interior Lineman. The running Utes are underway in their foreign tour over in España. Utah won their first game against Tempos 88-69. The team shot 42% from the field, including 17 made threes. Senior center Brandon Carlson led the team in scoring with 19 points. Hunter Erickson, Cole Bajima, Gabe Madsen, and Raleigh Wooster also added double-digit scoring in the game. Two days later, the running Utes found themselves in a close contest, but pulled away late, winning 81-65 over Alfinden. The game was tied at 47 in the third quarter, but the Utes went on a 16-3 run and never looked back. Carlson led the team once again in scoring, this time with 26. Utah then went and put on a show in their third game in Spain, winning 112-82 over Navarro in front of a packed arena. Gabe Madsen led the team in scoring with 18, and transfer Davian Smith added a comfortable 12 to go alongside Madsen. The team will wrap up with their final game this week and head back to the States on August 4th. Although we haven't been able to watch the games over in Spain, the reports have been pleasant, and I'm excited to see what Coach Smith can do with this roster come season time. But for now, on to the real news. The real news is all about conference realignment, as I mentioned before, and that has to begin with kind of how Pac-12 Media Day ended and how last week, or you could say earlier this week, really started. At Pac-12 Media Day, and as mentioned in the last Thatcher Effect episode, uh, Commissioner George Klyovkov mentioned that the longer that the conference waits for a media rights deal, the better that that deal gets. And hearing that at first, I was thinking, well, Maybe because there's, we're starting to see more unity within the conference, at least from what I saw two weeks ago, then linear networks are a, wanting to come back to the conversation, mainly ESPN and Fox, to partner with um, Apple or Amazon, a streaming service, to jointly be a part of this media rights deal. Turns out it was not that way. And as I also mentioned in last week's episode, George Klyovkov's press conference was very underwhelming. And now, even more so, I'm realizing that it wasn't necessarily... It was more like Pac-12 propaganda. 
And it's sad to see that because that reminds me of the Larry Scott era where Larry Scott was lying to Pac-12 fans' faces. We knew it was crap, but he kept feeding it to us. And what I liked about George when he first came into the conference is that he told us everything that Larry had done wrong and that he was willing to fix it. Talked about the Comcast debt, talked about the past um, Pac-12 media rights deal that included the um, creation of the Pac-12 networks, everything that just wasn't going right for this conference. But now with this new age of college football and the Pac-12 severely falling behind, he now is having to play that same role and feed that propaganda towards the conference's fans. And now Pac-12 fans are stuck with basically whatever's left on the table. So after Pac-12 Media Day, uh, a few days after, Colorado uh, quickly announced that they would create a Board of Regents meeting um, where soon after they would vote to apply for the Big 12. The day before that that happened, the Big 12 CEO group all met together and said that they would approve the application when it did happen. Well, come the day for the vote, uh, the Colorado Board of Regents votes unanimously 9-0 to to apply for the Big 12, which means they are in. Now, why would they do that? I think it's pretty clear that they wanted security, and mainly in the aspect of the media rights deal. As far as the Big 12 is concerned, they've already expressed the opinion that they would like to expand to 14 teams. With the addition of the Colorado Buffaloes, the Big 12 conference now sits at 13. Colorado wanted to join the conference because of security, because in the Big 12's new media deal that they had just made, no matter what uh, or who the conference adds, each additional team does not take out the allowance or the budget allotted to each different university that was already made with ESPN and Fox. So I believe that it was from ESPN Fox, each school got around $31 million. So each school, and including Colorado and whoever the Big 12 wants to add next, will also get $31 million. And it doesn't take away from any one of the other universities. So that's a big part of why Colorado moved. Instead of waiting to get, and I'll talk about the um, rumored Pac-12 deal that was reported from the CEO group uh, earlier this week, they decided to go with the security of $31 million, which is, again, very close to what they've been getting with the Pac-12. But you know it's coming. You know you have money. You know you have a budget. And that's why Colorado left. The Pac-12 is completely uncertain. It's falling apart. I don't think you can put all of this on George Klyovkov. Uh, I wouldn't put all of USC and UCLA bounding for the Big Ten last year on George Klyovkov. I wouldn't put this whole debt with Comcast as part of George Klyovkov. No, like, not all of this is his fault. but. In the words of um, someone I'm close with, crap runs upwards in this scenario. Um, you're the top of the conference. You're the face of the conference. You have to act like it. And listen, when someone below you makes a mistake, when someone that's in your position that came before you makes a mistake, you have to own up to it. That's your job. George Klyovkov hasn't done that. And I thought when he originally came to the conference that he would do that, that he was different than Larry Scott. Now I'm not so sure. So as Colorado leaves, now the Pac-12 is down to nine teams. And once again, you're without your biggest market in the LA schools. And Colorado also has a big market. The Denver market is a lot bigger than most people were making it out to be. 
And I understand that in athletic accomplishments alone, the Pac-12 won't miss Colorado that much. In fact, Oregon head coach Dan Lanning said so earlier this week when he basically asked the media, hey, what have they done to affect this conference? They haven't done anything. And he's not wrong. But the Denver market, it's its more than just the athletic accomplishments. It's the brand. It's the TV rights. It, it's everything that goes along with it. Colorado is absolutely needed. And it was really sad to see them go. So now you've lost the LA schools in Colorado. Again, like I said, that leaves the Pac-12 at nine teams. But now the Big 12 says, hey, we only need one more spot to fill our preferred 14 slots. Now they're looking towards what is rumored to be the four corner schools. Um, not looking at you, New Mexico. No one really cares. We call it the four corner schools, but you're not really involved. That's mainly involving Arizona, ASU, and Utah. Earlier on Tuesday, Arizona Board of Regents had a scheduled meeting, but quickly made it executives only 30 seconds into the live stream. So as I'm recording this episode right now, I'm not sure what the outcome of that Board of Regents meeting is. But early on Tuesday morning, Arizona head coach Jed Fish talked with his players' parents and basically told them, Arizona is in a good position. They will get a good deal. And he basically just said, if it is with the Pac-12 or if it's the Big 12. So basically, wherever they feel that there's going to be a better fit, that's where they're going to go. And as of right now, the Big 12 is the more secure position. So look for Arizona to be on the move really soon. And according to a lot of sources, the Wildcats are the ones that are that the Big 12 is looking at next. It's also been rumored by multiple sources that Arizona, ASU, and Utah have both have all been in communication and they have all said that either all of us will make the move together as a package deal therefore moving the Big 12 conference up to 16 teams which is also possible or none of them make the move and they stick together I'm not sure how credible those sources are um, they I mean they obviously came from credible sources but I just don't know how credible the claims are Arizona is an interesting target. Um, I think mainly because of their basketball prowess. Um, you can't say that their football team is an important part of this, although I do think that that program is on the rise. But if you add Arizona basketball to big the Big 12 Conference, the Big 12 has just become even better in men's basketball. It's not even close. In fact, that's probably the closest you're going to get to the NBA in the NCAA ranks. It would be a fantastic basketball conference. There's no doubt about that. So look for Arizona to be on the move. Of course, no one can really predict what's going to happen. I was just saying a few weeks ago, Pac-12 is fine. Pac-12 is fine. Like, we're not great, but we're fine. And now it's shifted completely. So I'm not going to give one of my predictions. But what I will say is, as of right now, I'm leaning towards the Wildcats moving towards the Big 12. Now, what was rumored to be the Pac-12 media deal? Well, again, early on Tuesday morning, the Pac-12 CEO group met. And for those of you who don't know, that involves the people higher up at each university, mainly the university presidents and the university athletic directors. So for the University of Utah, that was President Taylor Randall and athletic director Mark Harlan. At this meeting, it was uh, rumored that the deal that was proposed by George Klyovkov was going to be primarily with Apple. And through this deal, they would get around $20 million per team but it would come with tiered bonuses based upon subscriptions. So the tiers for bonuses would go from 1 million to 5 million to 10, 15, 25, 30, 35, 40. 
No deal was signed on Tuesday morning, mainly because the schools were worried about budgeting. And they're right. There's a few concerns that I do have with this. There's a few pros that I have with this. As mentioned in earlier episodes, the Pac-12 media rights deal has rumored for has been rumored for a long time to involve a streaming partner as as the main partner of this media rights deal. I think that streaming is actually not a bad idea. I understand the visibility point of view, but I believe that sports in general is moving towards a streaming service. We've already seen that with cable television. We're now watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, way more than we were ever watching TV shows with commercials on cable TV. Sports has started to make that transition. We've seen it with the MLS partnering with Apple to put all of their league completely on the streaming service. We've also seen that with Amazon taking the rights to Thursday night football in the NFL. Now, the reason why I do like the subscription-based service is because these companies are willing to pay more. ESPN has the fame. It has the front, the face. They're the face of sports. Same thing with Fox. And I think Fox is still in a really good position. ESPN is on the downslope. Disney CEO Bob Iger has said this. They need to rethink their partnership with ABC. They need to rethink their partnership with ESPN. The company ESPN has already mentioned that they are planning on transitioning towards a streaming-based service within the next five years, also subscription-based like Apple. Now, here's the problem. Subscription-based, like the schools were worried about, does not give you a controlled amount to budget, right? So your, your income will change every year based upon the amount of subscriptions, based upon the amount of viewership that your, your, your university is getting. What's also hard is that with the Pac-12 network, it was limited viewership, but if you had a certain TV provider, you had access to it across the nation. With Apple TV, you have to have access to the streaming service plus subscribe to get Pac-12 games. And I'm not even sure if the best football game of the week or even the best you know, men's basketball game of the week will be allowed to be played on linear networks. That would be a completely different and big blow to the conference. Because say, for example, once it's down to the Pac-9, as far as it is right now, if Oregon and Washington play in 2024, and it's the end of the season, you know, it's November of college football, both teams, you know, highly ranked. If that game's on Apple TV, who's going to watch that? And the sad part is, is like, that's the premier game as of right now for the Pac-9. And if people can't watch that on the TV, then what are you guys have been doing making a media rights deal that where no one's going to see your t- where no one's going to see your team's play? So that that's obviously the big concern right now with the rumored Pac-12 media deal that is on the table right now. Now, the one thing that's nice about the subscription based is that Utah is building their market. The market is getting bigger. The brand is getting bigger. So, as a university, I don't think they're entirely screwed with this deal. Um, they're also a really good football program. So you know that they will get more viewership more than most schools in the conference. So the bonus that they will be getting could roughly equate to what they're getting right now with their current media rights deal. But the thing is, we just don't really know. Um, I'm not really sure what to think about conference realignment as a whole right now. It's, we've been seeing that this is the way that college football was going to go. In fact, Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham has mentioned multiple times for years 
that this is the trend. It's going to become super conferences. It's going to become a mini NFL. Kyle Whittingham has gone even as far to say that NCAA athletes won't even have to be in school. You basically go to a university, kind of like a minor league situation or kind of like the NBA's G League. You go get some playing time. It allows you to play at the next level to apply for the draft. Um, Colorado going to the Big 12 is a really big blow. And there are Pac-12 fans who can say, nope, they're the worst team in football. They're okay in men's basketball. You know, they haven't really done anything for the conference. That's understandable. You're not wrong, but there's more to it than that. And I think you as Pac-12 fans have to realize that. Now, where, where, what kind of position does this put Utah in? I think I'm on the same track as where Utah was in last week's mindset, right? I think Utah is fine. Not great, but fine. Mostly because the Big 12 has already said, In fact, it was earlier reported by ESPN's Ian Fitzsimmons that the Big 12 Conference has already reached out to Utah, expressing interest in them joining the conference. But according to his report, it was that Utah wasn't returning their calls, and according to him, because they didn't want to follow their rival BYU. I don't think that's the case. I think Utah isn't necessarily eager as of right now, like super eager to join the Big 12, because they're taking a more methodical approach. Other reports also uh, made by notable sources have said that Utah has been in conversation with the Big Ten as to asking them what they what else they need to do to be able to apply to go to the Big Ten conference. And the Big Ten has responded saying, hey, you need to do this and this and this, and then you can be eligible to join our conference in you know three to five years if they're looking to expand. So does Utah jump ship for the Decent security of the Big 12, right? $31 million a year. Or do you take a small cut right now with the Pac-12 for this really short media rights deal, fix the things that you need to do, and maybe try and go to the Big 10? Because I agree with Kyle Whittingham, it's going to be super conferences. I think it'll probably end up to three or four. I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be one of those three or four. And because of that, I think the Big 10 and the SEC are going to be the top two conferences in the country. If Utah wants to wait a few years before conference realignment, I think really takes a turn, then you can really take your shot at the Big Ten and say, okay, we want to go here. This is where this is where we really want to end up. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. So if Utah wants to wait, great. Let's have them wait. So hopefully the conference can see what's going on. Hopefully George Klyovkov can try and make something work. But the sad part about the Pac-12 is that on Tuesday – we were supposed to get the proposed deal. Like they were supposed to be done with it. And what do you know? They basically just had the meeting to say, okay, we're in a good position. Let's meet again. That's been the entire premise of the Pac-12 conference for the past few years. Misleadership. It's been misguided. It's been in the dumps. 
And the sad thing is, is the Pac-12 had such a good future back in the day. They could have dismantled the Big 12 multiple times, but they didn't. And now they're stuck being the ones getting picked on by the Big 12. So more to come on the media rights deal and more uh, in the coming episodes. And hopefully something can get done and we'll have something to talk about in the next few weeks. Now, as I mentioned before in the headlines, Utah has been in fall camp. And as mentioned in the headlines as well, Cam Rising was limited in his drills. Um, the interesting part about that is that Keithy was not even cleared to play. Now, a reminder that Brent Keithy tore his ACL in September against ASU, the fourth game of the year. Cam Rising tore his ACL January 2nd of this year, Utah's very last game of the 2022 season in the Rose Bowl. Yet Cam Rising is on track to start the first game, and he was already in fall camp, but Keithy has not been. Now, the first thing you can say is that everyone's injury process, healing process is different. Um, also, ACL tears are different. It depends on what happened in each case. From At least from what I remember from both injuries, Cam's looked a little bit worse to me than Keithy's did. From what I can remember, Keithy kind of fell weird um, but it was because he he just moved wrong on a route, kind of a, a small route against ASU. But Cam Rising was hit weird as he was on the on the move. So I'm interested to see how that how that looks for both of those guys. And listen, both of these guys need to start right off the bat if Utah probably wants to keep their playoff hopes alive. But with Cam Rising being limited and Keithy not even being cleared yet, what does this mean for Rising? And Whittingham mentioned once again that both of these players are on track, not ahead, but they are on track. But if Rising isn't available to play Florida, how do you as Utah fans feel about Brandon Rose now being the starting quarterback for the Utes against the Florida Gators in week one? I think personally... It's not a huge deal for that game alone. I will be concerned if Cam Rising is not eligible once conference play starts. Again, we can aim for the playoff. I think it's a great aim. I think Utah has the depth on paper. They have the roster to do it. But the Pac-12 championship is a great goal. And if you say, for example, if you go one and two in your non-conference, you still have a really big goal that's completely attainable if Cam Rising is healthy. But what if he isn't? Say, for example, if, if, if Keithy is not even available and he got injured months before Rising did, then what happens if Rising isn't available until after Oregon State? What if he's not even available until the second part of the season? This is where I would start to be concerned as a Utah fan. And does Utah drop games and end up ending at the, at the end of the season kind of finishing next to their floor, you know, a seven and five type of season rather than an 11 and one season, which is, in my opinion, the ceiling of this Utes team. It'll be interesting to see how they finish. But Cam Rising is an essential part of this Utah team. When he goes, Utah goes. Cam Rising is not an elite quarterback. Cam Rising is a good quarterback. And I think his play is elevated because of the players that he has around him. Cam Rising is one of those players that really fits into Utah's system where he doesn't have the talent that I think is completely transferable among any program. You know, kind of like a Caleb Williams um, who can, as a quarterback, probably get plugged into any system and thrive. 
Cam Rising thrives specifically with Utah's offense. Last year, he thrived because you had a round one draft pick and Dalton Kincaid as your tight end. You had a solid running game at the end of the season with Jaquin and Jackson. This year is no different. As Once again, you have a stacked running back room that I believe is four deep. You now have great wide receiver transfers from across the country. Micah Pittman. You also bring back Devon Vele. You bring back Money Parks. He has pieces around him, not to mention that the stellar O-line that will be in front of him, which I believe is a top two offensive line in the conference. So Cam Rising once again has the weapons. So if he comes back, he has the opportunity to do what he has been doing for the past two years. Now, can Brandon Rose do the same thing? Or can Nate Johnson do the same thing? Can Bryson Barnes do the same thing? Bryson Barnes is able to play fine. We saw that against Washington State last year. He got the job done. It was ugly. It wasn't pretty. But Utah got the win. And at the end of the day, that's what goes on your record. It goes on the left side. It doesn't go on the right. You get the dub. But can Brandon Rose thrive? Can he thrive like Cam did? Can Nate Johnson do it like Cam did? I sure thought he could when he hopped into those few games at the end of the season against Arizona and Stanford. He's one of those athletes that Andy Ludwig wants to plug into his system. So if he's healthy come fall time, will he also get playing time with Brandon Rose to try and beat that Gators team that comes in? Utah's defense is going to be able to keep Utah in games if Cam Rising is not able to go. Utah's defense, once again, in my opinion, is a top two defense in the league. I think Oregon State is the other one that's right up there with the Utes. The Florida offense is not that great. Um, they don't have a good quarterback situation. Graham Mertz is projected to be their starting quarterback. Um, I'm not really confident in what the Florida Gators can do when they come to Rice-Eccles on August 31st. But what I can say is that the Utah defense is what I have complete confidence in. You have eight returning starters, and while you lose Clark Phillips, you gained Miles Battle, the transfer from Ole Miss, and you have a stellar defensive line with great defensive ends, great inside linemen, and a linebacking core that also has fantastic depth. I think the linebacking group is four deep as well. So I'm not worried in the Utah defense, and I think if Cam Rising is not able to go, then Utah, I believe, is still favored to beat Florida. I start to get worried once we get to Baylor, and then once we get into conference play against Oregon State on that Friday night in Reeser Stadium, and then UCLA at home. So after fall camp day one, that's my number one concern, and that's where Coach Winningham's concern is. What's going on with the quarterbacks? How can we fix that situation? I'd really like to see how this progresses over the next month. Obviously we have 30 days now until the Florida game. So we have to look at how is camp progressing? Is he going to get to the point where he can start taking hits where he can make sudden movements where he can roll out of the pocket, use his legs. Cause that's another big part of cam's game. If you, if you don't remember cams rushed for almost a thousand yards in his Utah career, he's rushed for 12 touchdowns. His running game plays a pivotal part because the defense knows he has that ability, and so they plan for it. They prepare for it. If you take Cam Rising's rushing game and his ability to run out of the pocket, if you know that's not going to be a problem, opposing defenses will have an easier time scheming against Utah, meaning they already know, okay, we don't need to prepare for that factor, so let's just focus on you know slant passes from inside the pocket, or they're just going to run the ball a lot, so let's, let's pack it in. You know, Let's go 
you know, zero, zero coverage. Let's go all in. Let's do a blitz package. That's when now you start to get concerned. So Whittingham has also mentioned that Cam is not going to play if he's uh, not a hundred percent, but as far as where he's at right now, like, is that possible that he can get to hundred percent by August 31st? The Utah football program tells us so. Well, let's see what happens when it comes to that point. I'm excited to see what more news comes from fall camp, including who's standing out, especially among the transfers and maybe who's able to make a little bit of a comeback. I'm excited to see what Nate Ritchie does off of his LDS mission. More on that to come in the following episode. So please stay tuned with the Thatcher effect to be all in on Utah Utes fall camp news. To finish off this week's episode, I'll talk about the best win bracket, um, how it's going. This week is the last week of the first round of the bracket. Super excited about how it's been going. But just to remind you guys, the best win bracket is a 16C tournament that faces off, in my personal opinion, the best Utah football wins of the 2000s. Each week, I release two matchups from the bracket with a highlight reel from each game on Twitter. I then create a Twitter poll and let the fans decide who moves on. So last week's matchups was the 3 seed 2022 blackout game versus USC against the 2018 Holy War comeback for the ages. I gave some of my comments on what I thought about these games, but to review, I'll go over them once again. The 3 seed 2022 blackout game versus USC means that I believe that game is the best game ever in Rice Eccles history. This was a game where USC came in undefeated, ranked seven in the country. Utah's coming off of a defeated loss against UCLA. And Utah starts off on a very poor note. USC's coming right out of the gates, firing on all cylinders, just like they kind of did in the Pac-12 championship game. This was a game that honored Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe, as Utah had special hand-painted helmets um, to help commemorate their memory to the Utah football program. And it was dramatic in all sense of the term. It was the Cam Rising and Dalton Kincaid show. Dalton Kincaid finished 16 for 16, over 200 yards and a touchdown. And Cam Rising was absolutely electric, throwing for over 400 yards. He uh, passed for three touchdowns and rushed for two more. Um, this is where I think, excuse me, I think he rushed for three touchdowns. And I'm, I'll have to go back and look at the stats. Cam Rising, but he has an excellent game. They rush in for a two-point conversion to go up by one with 48 seconds left to go. Incredible comeback by the Utah squad. And that's really kind of the memorable game from such a memorable season in 2022. That went up against the 2018 Holy War comeback. BYU comes in here, mediocre team. Utah's already secured a spot in the Pac-12 championship. It's the only game against BYU that was played in November to this point during the Pac-12 era. And BYU starts off, once again, firing on all cylinders, and Utah's stalling on offense. They were led by backup quarterback Jason Shelley and backup running back Armand Shine, as Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss were both injured. BYU jumps up to a 20-0 lead at halftime. Julian Blackman's able to take a pick six back, cut it to 13, but then BYU scores again. It's 27-7. Utah then scores 28 unanswered to beat BYU at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Fantastic game. In this matchup, the 2022 Blackout USC game won by 88% um, or with 88% of the vote. So that team will be moving on to the quarterfinals. The other matchup that I had was the 6C 2008 TCU Blackout game versus the 2010 Holy War blocked field goal. Now, again, a lot of people said that this TCU Blackout game was severely underseeded in their words. And listen, I agree that in... Maybe another world, I would have this as a higher seed. I just had reasons as to not put it higher than the seeds that I did have above it. 
Um, the 2010 Holy War blocked field goal was fantastic. Um, such a, a an interesting game. Jordan Wynn was the quarterback. He gets benched because he's not doing good. Um, backup quarterback comes in, throws two picks. Jordan Wynn goes back in, throws a legendary pass. Um, oh, who am I thinking of? I think it's Devontae Christopher uh, for a, a legendary touchdown where he bobbles in his hands, dives towards the end zone. And then BYU's running down the field as time expires. They're ready to win the game with a field goal, and then Utah blocks it to win the game. And it's the last rivalry game with both BYU and Utah in the same conference. Back to the TCU game. That was the game of the year for, in the regular season for BYU, for Utah. As they were undefeated, they were trying to make another run for a New Year's Six Bowl. And TCU comes in here ready to make some noise with Andy Dalton. They open up the game 10-0 in the first quarter, but then Utah holds them scoreless and is able to get a game-winning touchdown once again in the final minutes to win that game. And it was the original blackout game, which also makes it really exciting. And that TCU blackout game won with 79% of the vote. So congratulations to that team. It will be moving on to the quarterfinals. Now, for the last matchup, excuse me, matchups in the first round, it's going to be a USC special. It's going to be the 4 seed 2022 Pac-12 Championship versus USC against the 13 seed 2016 Blackout Game versus USC. And the other matchup is the 5 seed 2021 USS Salt Lake City Game versus Oregon against the 12 seed 2014 Blackout Game versus USC. As you've probably noticed, Utah usually wears black when they play USC at home. In the first matchup, what else can we say about the Pac-12 Championship against USC? Started on a down note. They were able to make an incredible comeback, tie the game at halftime, and then just put on the gas in the second half. Lots of people are going to talk about Caleb Williams' injury, especially how it limited USC's ability to be able to score the ball. But as much as we want to talk about Caleb Williams' injury, we should also be talking about USC's defense. It was atrocious. It was so bad. And I think no matter if Caleb Williams is healthy, Utah was still going to score points in that second half. Now the game that goes up against is the 13 seed 2016 game against US. Excuse me, the 13 seed 2016 blackout game against USC. Troy Williams and Tim Patrick made a wonderful connection with under a minute to go as Utah has a lengthy drive from within inside their own 10 to go all the way across the other side of the field and score. And it was again another fantastic game. It was the first hand painted helmet in Utah history in the blackout game. It was pouring rain. Utah wins it at the last second. Phenomenal. It's one of my favorites. In the next matchup, what else can be said about the 2021 USS Salt Lake City game versus Oregon? Fantastic jerseys. Probably the most complex hand-painted helmets that Utah football has had to date. Oregon comes in to Rice-Eccles ranked number three in the country. They have playoff hopes alive. Utah, if they win this game, they secure a spot in the Pac-12 championship. And Utah just blows the doors off of Oregon. They go up 28-0 to zero at halftime, never looked back. And I think the 78-yard punt return for a touchdown by Britton Covey is one of the greatest plays in all of Utah football history. It's going up against the 2014 blackout game versus USC, which was Utah's first win against the Trojans in the Pac-12 era. Travis Wilson and company, they were doing the best they could. USC was putting on a great show. Utah ends up taking another game-winning drive down to the wire. And one of my favorite all-time calls by Gus Johnson was when he called Travis Wilson Hercules. And it gives me chills still to this day. I'll be sure to include that call in the highlight reel this week on my Twitter poll. And then the pass to Kalen Clay with eight seconds left to seal the victory. It was fantastic. I loved every second of that game. 
one that I will surely remember for a long time to come. So be sure to follow along, like I said, every weekend on my Twitter account at NateDotcher15. I'll be posting all of these matchups, the highlights, notable game points, and as well as the poll where you decide which game wins every Friday afternoon around noon. And then on Monday around noon is when these polls will close. And then I'll release the results on the podcast for the following week. That's it for this week's edition of the Thatcher Effect. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to see you guys all next week.